to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchbt.com. Good morning. Well, we have been walking through the book of Daniel. How many of you guys are enjoying reading Daniel? If you didn't raise your hand, my goal today is that you get you reading the book of Daniel. We've been walking through the book of Daniel chapter by chapter, and today we come to chapter 6, and in Daniel chapter 6, what we find is some jealous co-workers try to throw Daniel under the bus. And when I say under the bus, I mean into a pit of man-eating lions. <laughs> uh, have you guys ever had a coworker try to make you look bad for their own personal advantage and gain? <laughs> I remember one time when I was in college, I had to take this terrible telemarketing job. because <laughs> the only job I could get. I didn't have transportation, and there was a friend of mine who also worked at this telemarketing place. And so when I got at the training, they gave me this really long script. This telemarketing company worked for nonprofits, so at least I, th I thought that was kind of cool. I can help raise money for nonprofits, but I just, I, who here loves to get calls from telemarketers? <laughs> Nobody, okay. Well, me neither. But I thought, oh, this is an opportunity I can get some employment. And so I showed up, and they gave me this long script of the first one. It was like a page long. You know when a telemarketer calls you, they say, hello, Mr. Avery. Um, and, and they go through this whole spiel, and you don't even feel human, right? And so I, when I got there, I said, I'm not going to do that. And so I, I got my list, and like, for instance, if the list was, hey, this person's name is Richard Dent, I would call them up and say, hey, Rick, my name is Adam, and I'm calling on behalf of this organization. Last year, you gave money. Do you want to give money again? <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> but I was killing it. And I think that people just appreciated, like, oh, finally a telemarketer who doesn't keep me on the phone for 10 minutes, going, reading off a piece of paper, forgetting that I'm on the other end of the line. And so how that company worked is we got 50 cents per yes, per donation. And so I was just crushing it. I was getting through six, seven, eight calls before another person was getting through one. Well, every month we had a meeting with our boss. And so we were all together in the meeting and... Uh, the boss was talking about the new script for the new nonprofit we're going to be raising funds for. And one of my coworkers raised his hand and said, well, what if somebody here is not using the script? And then they looked directly at me. <laughs> like, you just threw me under the bus, man. And the boss looked at me and said, Adam, are you not using the script? And I said, I, I kind of... I kind of am, a little bit, but I'm not really using the script. And he said, well, you have to use the script. I tried it for like 20 minutes, and I had to quit that job. I just couldn't handle it. And so I lost the, the, my telemarketing job because a coworker threw me under the bus. Now, losing a terrible telemarketing job is not the same as your jealous coworkers trying to get you thrown into a pit of lions to execute you and devour you. But here's the thing about Daniel chapter 6. We get to Daniel chapter 6. And Daniel, even though these jealous coworkers are trying to get him devoured and destroyed, he doesn't flinch. He just completely depends on God, and God comes through for him in a big way. 
Now, in Daniel chapter 1, when Daniel was first taken captive by the Babylonians, it's believed by most scholars that he was a young teenager, probably 14, 15 years old. By the time we get to chapter 6, he's in his early 80s. And so a lot of time has passed by the time we get to chapter 6, which means this. Most of Daniel's life was lived in exile, 65 plus years. And I think it's safe to say that he probably didn't imagine life to pan out the way that it did. Right? Who is 15 and they wake up one day and say, hey, I can't wait. One day I'll be ripped away from my family and be taken away as a prisoner. And I'll be forced to abandon my heritage and serve my conquerors for 65 years. I'll be put in difficult situations where my life is in the balance. And I'll die an old man never being free again. No, nobody dreams that kind of life. Nobody imagines that kind of life. And as tragic as all that sounds, what we find in the book of Daniel is that God redeems Daniel's circumstances. And he turns them around and he uses his life in ways that he couldn't have possibly imagined. And so I think that's good news for you and I. Because if you're like me, life doesn't always turn out how you plan for it, does it? How many here have ever experienced a a curveball in your life or an unexpected event in your life where maybe there was a job that didn't pan out, right? Or a failed relationship, Or maybe there was a move that didn't go so well, and you felt like you made a mistake. Or maybe there was a health issue you didn't plan on. See, I think everyone in this room could be like, yeah, that's me. I've had unexpected things happen in my life. You know, when when my wife and I um, had our son Joshua, when he was an infant, he started getting diagnosed with all these health, serious health diagnosis all kinds of health issues, and man, I got to tell you, when we started hearing about his diagnosis, it it devastated us, because it's not something you plan on as a family, right? What what do people say when they have babies? (laughs) Healthy, beautiful baby boy. What do you say when your baby's not healthy? Or you know when you have a little toddler, and they're really smart, you say, oh, my toddler's so smart, can say the ABCs forward and backward in three different languages, But what do you say when your child has developmental delays and is born without a corpus callosum in their brain? See, here's the thing. God has used our son Joshua in so many ways to bless our family in ways we could never imagine. Now, that doesn't mean there's not challenges. It doesn't mean there's not difficulties. It doesn't mean we don't pray for and believe for his healing and development. But he's a huge blessing in our lives. And I share all that to say this. God is a master redeemer. He can take the most difficult situation and he can turn it around for good in our lives. In fact, it's one of his specialties. So I want to start just by saying this this morning. If you're here and you're not where you thought you'd be, be encouraged. Because God is a redeemer and a rescuer, and he's not finished with you yet. If your life hasn't panned out like you imagined, you're in good company. And so I have some good news I want to share with you from Daniel chapter 6. And I'm going to invite Francis to come up, and he's going to read our passage for us. 
And we're going to read the first nine verses of Daniel chapter 6 and dig in a little deeper. All right. Daniel 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the, that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him, because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. So let's quickly retrace what led us up to Daniel chapter 6 and what we just read. Daniel, as I mentioned, is taken captive by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar as a teenager. And he's forced into serving in Nebuchadnezzar's cabinet for many years. That's the first four chapters of the book of Daniel, which we've gone over. In chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar's successor, Belshazzar, comes to the throne, and he decides that he's going to throw a huge party. And in this party, uh, we see a display of his arrogance because instead of using red solo cups at his party, he thinks it's a good idea to go and kind of mock the Jewish people by taking the sacred vessels from the Jewish temple and using those at his party instead. When they're partying, this giant hand of God comes in the room and writes these words on the wall, and nobody can interpret this writing, but Belshazzar is freaked out, right? He's either drinking too much, or God has just like written something on the wall. And so Daniel comes, and he says, nope, that's the hand of God, and here's what that means. And it's spelled doom for the Babylonians. And that very night, uh, what we find out is the Persian army executes a sneak attack and conquers Babylon. So now Daniel, who is serving the Babylonian king, is now thrust into a position where he's serving this Persian king named Darius. And so Darius promotes Daniel to one of the highest positions in the empire. Now the Persian empire was massive. And I have a slide to show you with a map of just how massive this empire was. It was the largest empire the world had seen to this point in history. It it spread out all across Asia Minor, from India all the way to Egypt. And so there was urgent need for organization because the empire was so huge. And so King Darius set up 120 governors. And then he had three overseers over these governors, and Daniel was one of those three. But Daniel was so exceptional at his job that the king 
planned to make him his number two. Well, when he planned to make him his number two, some of the other governors got jealous. They said, wait a second. Why is a foreign captive of war being promoted above us? We're good Persian folk. <laughs> and, and here's this Jewish guy who's a captive of war, and he's going to be promoted and get the best job. He's going to be the king's number two. And so they tried to find some dirt on Daniel because, you know, politics. <laughs> but he was above reproach. He had character. He had integrity. He was well-respected. And so the coworkers, the governors conclude the only way we're going to get rid of this guy is to set him up. And so they knew Daniel was a man of faith, and then he prayed faithfully three times every day. And so they concocted a plan to manipulate the king by using his ego to make prayer illegal. They went to the king and they said, Darius, you're so clever. Like how, how you took that, that, the sneak attack that you executed to take Babylon. Like, oh, if, if people only knew how great you were. You know what you should do? You should make a law that nobody can pray to anybody just for 30 days except to you. And, and, and we're not asking people to abandon their faith and their religion. It's just 30 days. Just, just put the spotlight on you for 30 days and let people see how awesome you are. See, they were really cunning because they, they've observed Darius and Daniel. They knew that Darius would take the bait because there was uh, some pride and arrogance in his heart. And they knew that Daniel wouldn't stop praying because he was faithfully and fully committed to God. And so sure enough, their scheme works and the king makes the decree. And it brings us to verse 10 where it says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published... No prayer. It's illegal for 30 days. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem three times a day. He got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. So Daniel isn't deterred at all by this decree. He doesn't even try to conceal his prayer. He opens up his windows. And my question is like, Daniel, don't you have a prayer closet? Don't you, don't you have some place where you could go and you could still be faithful? You, you could still be faithful to, to God and you could pray quietly and secretly and nobody could see you. But Daniel's not interested in that. Instead, he decides to prove his faithfulness to God. Or actually, I believe he was proving God's faithfulness to him. Because God had watched over him for 80 plus years. And he knew God's going to take care of me through this. I'm not, I'm not threatened. I'm not afraid. And I'm just going to pray. Well, sure enough, the jealous co-worker's plan works. They report to the king. They go back to King Darius and say, hey, that guy you want is your number two. Um, he doesn't respect you or even pay attention to what you say. He's still praying to his God three times a day. And the new law requires that he be executed and thrown into a pit of lions. Verse 14. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. I love this little verse. I love it because it disproves this false narrative that believers can't be good friends with unbelievers. See, when Jesus told his disciples, the world will hate you because of me, he wasn't giving the disciples license to be unlikable, abrasive jerks. <laughs> and somehow, as Christians, we've twisted Jesus' words, and we've convinced ourselves that the only relationship we can have with unbelievers is one that's combative. And that's not true. 
We see Daniel here is such good friends. There's, he, he, he loves and, and is friends with this king to such a level that this king is doing everything in his power to try to undo what he did. See, I'm convinced more than ever the church needs more people like Daniel. People who know how to be good friends. People who live and love in such a way that when we're in trouble, it's our unbelieving friends who try to help us. <laughs> Isn't that something? Right? And that's the life Jesus calls us to. Not a life of contention and antagonism. Well, Darius tries to find a loophole, but because of the way the Persian government is set up, he can't. And so he has to follow through on his decree. And as Daniel is being thrown into the lion's den, we, we see King Darius pray. And he says these words, May the God whom you serve continuously rescue you. What a powerful testimony. May the God who you serve continuously, Daniel, rescue you. The king goes back to his palace. He doesn't sleep a wink. He doesn't eat anything. He refuses all forms of entertainment. He doesn't even turn on Netflix. He, he, he's just distraught. And it shows how much he cared about Daniel. And then in verse 19, it says this. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God who you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouth of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. I want to show you a painting that Ian sent me a couple weeks ago um, that was painted in 1890 by Breton Riviere. Can you see, everybody see the painting okay? This is a portrait of Daniel's response to King Darius. And I just want to ask you guys, what do you notice about this painting? Just shout out anything that you notice. He's not looking at the lions. He's looking up. What was that, Karen? He's looking up. Yep. Anything else you guys notice? He looks peaceful. The lions are looking. Yep, the lions are looking up. Yeah, there's some bones on the ground. That's right. <laughs> the lions respect them. What else do you notice? What's that? He's in the light. Yeah, you can imagine how dark it would have been with the stone rolled over the entrance, right? What else do you notice? Lions are submissive. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, yeah, Aslan, the head lion there. Anything else that you guys notice? All the lion's mouths are still shut. Hmm. Persian clothing, yep. So it kind of shows that he was a person of authority and really respected. You know what I noticed about this painting is that there's no angel in it. Daniel cried out to Nebuchadnezzar, yeah, God sent an angel. 
to shut the mouths of the lions. And it's almost as if the artist wanted to convey that God's intervention can't always be seen with our human eyes. Look at verse 23. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. When I look at this painting, I'm reminded that just because I can't see with my natural eyes that God is working doesn't mean he's not working. And here's where Daniel's story intersects her own. Scripture tells us that Daniel isn't the only one with a jealous accuser who's trying to devour him. Let me read this verse to you. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you suffered a little while, will himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Here's the good news I want to leave you with this morning. Just like Daniel's accusers failed to devour him, our accuser, the devil, will fail to devour us. How do I know? Because God is a master, redeemer, and rescuer. There is no pit so deep that he can't reach us. None. And all we need to do is trust in him. All we need to do is, is trust that what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross defeated our jealous accuser, the devil, once and for all. All we need to do is trust that what Jesus accomplished on the cross shut the mouth of the lion who wants to devour us. It makes anything that he says, any accusations against us, null and void. Just like Daniel had this decree set over his life, God came through and said, yeah, I don't care about your decree. It's null and void. Right? All we have to do is trust. And we get to respond in faith this morning to this passage of scripture by coming to the communion table. Because when we come to the communion table, we remind ourselves that Jesus came to rescue us from our accuser, the devil. He came to pull us out of the pit of sin and death. He came to give us resurrection life. And I love this line in, in verse 23. After they pulled Daniel out of the lion's den, it says this, no wound was found on him because he trusted in God. And I can't help but wonder if that's the same for you and I this morning. No wound can be found. See, there's something remarkable about a Christian, someone who's following Jesus, who has gone through hardship, difficulty, tragedy, disappointment, pain, and yet there's no wounds found on them. Have you ever met that kind of person? Where look, they, they've been through so much, but it doesn't look like they've been through so much. Because their faith in God is just sturdy and strong. And you wonder, when I see that type of person that's been through all, there's no wounds found on them. I say, how does that happen? Well, 
I think it's because they've embraced this idea that Jesus himself has taken our wounds. Isaiah 53, 5 says this, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes were healed. Amen. See, just like Daniel's accusers were trying to wound him, trying to harm him, trying to devour him, trying to destroy, destroy him he just patiently quietly just stepped into this place of trusting God and I'm going to challenge all of us to do that this morning when we go to the communion table that anything the accuser has said against you any people who are uh, who are trying to like throw you under the bus any circumstances that you're facing that that you just feel could be wounding just step into this place of trust and trust in Christ and I'll leave you with one last thing as we go to the communion table this morning, I want us to consider this painting we saw. And I want us to think about this idea that just because we can't see God with our natural eyes working doesn't mean he isn't working. Right? When we go to the communion table, that's what we're doing. We're taking the bread and the cup to remember what Jesus did, how he went to the cross, how he defeated our accuser, right? And gave us resurrection life. And so I want you guys to be encouraged this morning as we take communion. If your life hasn't turned out exactly like you planned, it's okay. God isn't finished yet. And he's going to use you in ways that you never even could have imagined. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this story in Daniel chapter (coughs) 6. And how Daniel was able to step into this place of faith and rest and peace and just trusting in you. And God, I, we, we have a whole room full of people that we, we need to do the same thing this morning as we come to the communion table and take the bread and the cup. We need, Lord, to trust that you're going to shut the mouth of the accuser who comes against us all the time telling us that we're no good, that, that we're worthless, that nothing ever is going to happen for us, that God doesn't have a plan for us. God, we thank you that Jesus went to the cross to shut the mouth of the accuser, to give us resurrection life. And so, Lord, we stand firm in that, and and we rest in that this morning. We pray as we take the bread and the cup this morning that you would seal that in our hearts and our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.